0: Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Daly, and in this episode, we're chatting with Ewakim Engfors, a co-owner and designer at MindGate Studios. His newest biking-themed title, Feud, The Seer's Prophecy, is currently on Kickstarter. Joachim, welcome to The Binge. How you doing, my friend?
1: I am great. Thank you, James. It's uh, very exciting to be here. Thank you.
0: Oh, it is exciting to have you. I really appreciate <laughs> it. It's uh, We were able to connect through a mutual uh, colleague, uh, Joe Slack, who's been a guest uh, Uh, host on this podcast and uh oh man it was so cool to have him connect us when i was going through this campaign we're gonna get into the campaign a bit man but there's some (laughs) exciting elements that i really want to dig into with you uh but first and foremost so you're you're in germany right now i guess right
1: yes that is correct but you're swedish (laughs) i am swedish moved to germany about six years ago and what made you uh, move to germany well, uh, my wife is from Germany, and uh, when we had our child, our first child, um, we wanted um, our child, our daughter, to grow up with our cousins because oh, my nice. wife's brother has uh, kids in similar age. So we just figured, let's let's give it a try. And oh, now-
0: it, it is that is amazing. My kids and uh, their cousins are are roughly the same age, and uh, we live maybe six blocks from each other uh Mm. so growing up the kids always had a chance to play together and it is amazing how close of a bond they form uh when they're close in age and they're playing together and and constantly seeing each other so that's uh that's probably a great decision for you guys to do that for the sake of your kids what do you like what's your day job do you is it just board games or do you do other stuff as well
1: no no board games is uh, not much of a uh, not of much of an occupation yet, but uh, I'm a social worker. I visit um, uh, at-risk youth or families that need support in different ways or I meet with refugees and um, I have a lot of different little oh, wow. jobs inside of that yeah
0: and how did you get into that? was that something through schooling or
1: uh, that is a kind of slid into that by mistake almost i was studying um computer game development at university in sweden and uh, i was a little bit unhappy with the type of education that that was and um, uh, a friend of mine asked if i want to have a job i was Mm -hmm. like well what is it and that's how it started i started being a um, Sort of working at the youth center in Sweden, or a couple of youth centers, and uh, that's pretty much um, when I fig- realized that this is something that I want to um, continue doing.
0: Do for a career. Wow! And then is board gaming been part of your 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 whole life, or is this something you've got into more recently? Or how did you get into board game?
1: so board gaming in particular i have always been uh, into it we didn't have super much growing up we had this classic like risk and uh like a lot of card games and stuff but um i was always into gaming in general like video games computer games so that's definitely it was always part of my identity i would say
0: and then when did you jump into the more recent hobby and what was the gateway game that got you there
1: That was probably Magic: The Gathering. That was um, again my wife's brother introduced it to me, and we were immediately hooked. And then we were poor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, that's um, after that, um, we just um, discovered more and more games, and uh, yeah,
0: and they grew from there. And then Mindgate Studios um is now i think i saw on your page there is there some other people like your partner in that there's someone else that partners with you in that that company or
1: yes so the way mindgate studio works is when i was reaching out to different manufacturers in china for for the game that i'm currently running on kickstarter um a lot of them wouldn't deal with um uh, just uh, private people you'd need to have Mm. a business so um then we talked a little bit and um uh, my my wife's brother and I decided to uh, um, start a company together because he also has a lot of ideas. And uh, we figured, let's, uh, let's go on this journey together. And then we had some more people coming in and help us along the way.
0: And during COVID, so I imagine most of this design was during COVID. Is that when you guys kind of put this whole thing together? Or? Uh,
1: no, actually... Um, I mean, the Mindgate Studios, yes, was around that time, but um, we were actually already considering launching right before COVID hit. But then COVID hit and everything just got way too expensive. And um, we have a pretty niche game with a small target audience and it's quite expensive. So uh, we decided to just wait because... I want the game to come get out to as many people as possible so it's important to keep the costs down
0: yeah yeah for sure where the idea for your your game come from
1: so that has a little bit to do with me being a sword loser i think because (laughs) uh, playing magic like we talked about or hearthstone or Faria, or any of these card games where you're drawing a card every turn or you're drawing a few turns a few cards every turn. Um, I was always very happy when I won at those games, but every time I lost, I got frustrated because I told myself, well, I only lose because you keep drawing the cards you need. Uh, You're so lucky. Uh, And I was really sometimes quite annoyed and childish, but Mm -hmm. um, that kind of also um, inspired me to try to come up with a different system where, uh, every turn you can just decide what card you draw. And that's how it all started. I just had the idea. And, um, I think two days later we were playing the first prototype. It was all just from papers that had been cut up and written on and very, very basic. But, um, and since then I couldn't stop. I just kept going. It was, uh, I was really, uh, I really love the idea and I've been trying to make that experience as good as I can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would say for anybody that is a, uh, you know, aspires to be a game designer and want to know where to start, a great place to start is take a game that you have frustrations with and figure out how you would change it to, to make it work more for you. And, And this is one of the first things I ever did right? When I created a board game, uh, it was like an anti-monopoly game. I took everything about monopoly (laughs) that I absolutely hated. And I had, um, put it into, uh, into adjusting this game. Right. So when you play it, it's got some monopoly vibes to it for sure. Um, but you know, I changed it, uh, to deal with all the frustrations I had, like, you know, people fighting over who got to be the car. Well, everybody got a car in my version, right? (laughs) Uh, you know, trading, I traded my dad and he would always kind of screw you over by trying to give you a, a cheaper property for a more expensive property. <laughs> right. And there's never fair balanced deals. So I made all properties, the same value. So that the, you know, it was shared mm-hmm. so that they, they traded uh, evenly and so forth. And it would, it, although that's not a game I would ever put out there because again, it's the style of the game is very uh, much uh, circa, you know, 70s and 80s. Uh, it got me started down the path. Mm. Of, of creating games and putting ideas down and, and creating something physical. And you can still do that today. There's still games I'll, I'll get on Kickstarter sometimes. And, um, you know, I sit down to play it. It's like, oh, either A, this wasn't play tested enough, this game, or maybe I just don't get the way they wrote the rules. Uh, but sometimes what we'll do is we'll homebrew it. All right, and we'll say okay. Mm. Uh, we don't. This thing over here is not really working, but let's let's homebrew it so that we can get this so uh, something functional that we can actually enjoy and play. And I've got three games on my shelf right now that we've done that with. So um, <laughs> it's a good place to start. So it was kind of cool to hear someone else say that to say, you know, I I you know I had frustrations in my my gaming, and that led me down this path to create something new that uh, was going to be fun for me in in my play style. Right. Yeah. And then why a duel? So you chose this kind of a, a, you know, which is not typical, right? When I look at games mm-hmm. now, uh, most games are four, five, six players or solo versions. And you know, of course, you have your co ops and so forth. There's not many, I would say, two player versus games that I'm seeing like this yeah. or battle type games. What was the, the thinking
1: behind that? So, James, I just wanted to make the game that I love playing. And. <laughs> I had absolutely no intentions of ever getting this far with it. There was just, uh, I had a challenge and, and I went kind of, I started obsessing over it and I wanted to work on it, but I never imagined taking it this far ever. Yeah. But I can tell you, James, all my other games after this will be a lot easier to sell. I believe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing sometimes the genre, right? You have to make those uh, decisions. I ran that recently with um uh, Tanksman Oh Thanks, which is one of our first games we launched. And it's a uh, tank skirmish battle game, uh, very much an American style type game. And uh it, it's one of our better selling titles, right? So we sold out of it worldwide. We're looking at doing a second print and I've been going through the, the, the process of deciding, do I Kickstarter this or do I Kickstarter something else? and when i have to compare that versus a euro and which will probably do better on kickstarter.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, it keeps getting pushed further down down the list, right? And it it kills me to do it because i've got such heart and passion behind this particular title being the first one. But sometimes you have to kind of put in the the practicality of it, right? And kind of look at okay, if we're now not just doing a passion project, but now we're going to chart this out as a business going forward. Mm-hmm. What makes most sense to launch and when, right? And yeah. I imagine when, um, like people like yourself, right, where you're not just one game now, you're talking, you're probably thinking longer term now as a company. You know how are we going to map out the titles over time. That definitely comes into play now as to, you know, what am I going to launch and when, right? Yeah. So your your Kickstarter campaign right now. I'm just going to switch gears really quickly. Anybody that's looking uh, live or on the on the replay uh feud the seer's prophecy so what the 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 name alone give give me some insight into where that came from
1: (laughs) i wanted a short name and uh, (laughs) i wanted it to kind of reflect uh, what you're doing in the game so um pretty quickly landed on feud yeah and i was already um pretty set early on on the viking theme mm-hmm. and um i don't remember how we came with the seer's prophecy as a subtitle maybe we were already watching the vikings show was is that that old? <laughs> vikings yeah maybe <laughs> i could Ragnarok. Be, um, yeah um the seer's prophecy i mean the, it just sounded cool. I don't have a great, uh, <laughs> great reason. I wanted to right. have a, have a, a, a name that is um, short, mm-hmm. and I wanted it to kind of explain a little bit what you're doing and why. So. That's how we landed on Feud serious Prophecy.
0: It, uh, it certainly looks really cool. And I'm going to get you to walk us through kind of the, the essence of how you play this game. Uh, and then I'm going to jump into some of the components that kind of really popped out to me that I want to kind of hone in on. But when we start off at the top as to how how do two people play this? So it's a 40-minute game. Walk us through kind of the gist of how, this, how someone would play this
1: game. So... The game in terms of what the players have to do is really, really simple. Uh, Deciding what or how to do those things, that's where the challenge comes. So on your turn, basically each player, they have a village uh, that is uh, split up into different zones. There are six different zones in your village that you can move your characters between. And every character's tree or sorry, every zone triggers a certain effect and um, the effect is stronger, the more characters are in that zone. Mm. So you could, for example, send your characters to the, to the market. And for every card that you play in the market, you gain one silver on your turn. And then you could uh, put the character into the sacred grove, which gives you another resource, which is called insight. And, um, Yeah, so you just, on the start of your turn, you have a set of units on your board. It starts small, but it will grow over time. And then you can move every card one space. And after you've done that, you trigger all the zones, and then it's the other player's turn.
0: And then how do you battle? Like, So how does the battle work?
1: Yeah, so one of the zones on this uh, playmat is called Battlefield and for every unit you put into the battlefield uh, you can send that unit into your opponent's village and attack them and um, the way the combat works is that to to defend against an attacker you need to have a, have your own units either in the battlefield or placed on the wall which gives them a, an additional advantage when defending and The attacking player so all the cards have different values different costs different attack values different health most of them also have a special ability and uh, when you do combat you just look at the attack value of a card and that card will deal that much damage to whichever uh unit is blocking that attacker but it is similar to in Magic the Gathering and a lot of other card games where the defending player decides if if you have options, if you have multiple units on the wall, you could decide which unit should block which attacker. Mm.
0: So yeah, you can pick who you're going to sacrifice in that particular attack, essentially.
1: Yes, or hopefully someone that is strong enough to survive the attack.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What I thought was really cool was it It, it very much has a, uh, at least the table setup had a bit of a, a Dominion vibe to me. Um, and I'm showing on screen right here, but there's like, kudos to you. You've got neoprene mats in the, in the box, which is awesome because I hate it when the neoprene mats are outside of the box. And so you've got <laughs> one master neoprene mat that has kind of all these stacks of uh, potential uh, people you can recruit, I guess, right? From the market.
1: Yeah yeah and so that's one yeah Sorry.
0: yeah and it's a common uh, market right that everybody's choosing from the same thing and as you take a card then it reveals a card below it is that kind of how that works
1: so um the, the on the tavern mat which we call it yeah. there are uh, these uh, units placed out face up and there's four copies of them so mm. if a player takes one there's just three more underneath so it's it's similar to in Dominion, how the shop works there, yeah. where you put out a certain amount of cards. And when that pile is empty, you just have to find something else to do. And um, you can also see on the, on the tavern mat, there's also each player has two hidden decks. Mm-hmm. The decks are um, the same for both players, but it's going to be so when you draw a card, you can always choose which card you draw or which cards if you want to draw multiple cards i see again this this goes back to where you place your units if you place enough units in the homestead you're just going to draw you draw one card per unit you have in the homestead so some turns you might draw one card other turns you draw three or five and when you every time you draw a card you could either take one of the units the ones that are face up and for those you have to pay immediately the the cost that they have and uh, or you could select to take one of those face-down cards, so there's two different ones. There are the prophecy cards, which are one-time ta- one effects. You can take the card and uh, then you put it into your hand, and anytime you want, you can play it. It can be on your turn, another player's turn, and when you play, that's when you have to pay for the actual cost. And those could be something like deal damage to a unit or give a unit extra armor or extra attack until end of turn. Things like that. And then the third type of card is the knowledge cards, which are the blue ones. Mm-hmm. Those will also go face down onto the board. And um, whenever you want, just like the with the prophecy cards, you can turn them face up. When you turn them face up, you will reveal an effect that will stay for the rest of the game. So it's like an ongoing effect that will help you uh, hopefully win the feud. And um, these cost uh, different resources. They don't cost silver, but they cost this insight uh, resource, which you collect in the Sacred Mm Grove. And insight also has another use, which is uh, it works as a prerequisite for a lot of cards, meaning if you want to play a strong uh, unit, maybe you only have to pay three silver, but you first need to get up to four insight or five insight And if you don't have that insight, you just cannot recruit that unit. But the moment you play these knowledge cards face up, then you will pay the insight. So otherwise, it's just a threshold that you need to reach. But the moment you play a knowledge card, you will spend that resource. And then you have to build it up again if you want to have access to those more powerful cards.
0: And then I'm also showing on screen here the the sorting tree, which again, that's what gave me kind of that Dominion vibe. Man, does this ever look awesome? <laughs> so you've got, it's a big box too, right? like when you see the the kind of the the gif of you kind of unpacking the box, like there's a lot in this box, yeah
1: there is a lot and this again goes back to what I said earlier when I said uh, um I said something along the lines of uh, um yeah, I'm going to make games that are easier to sell in the future. I mm-hmm. didn't mean I'm going to create games. Uh, like I will still create games that I want to play myself, but I now know a lot about the manufacturing process, the shipping process, all those things that I completely disregarded in the beginning because I was just doing this for myself and mm-hmm. tried to make... And I hate when the neoprene mats are rolled up somewhere. I want them in the box. So yeah, that was very important to me. But that's that means you need to have a large box and it gets quite expensive. So
0: you have three neoprene mats too, right? It's not just I one. I
1: have and they're large. They're yeah. very large.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, each player, so each each player has their and I'm going to show this on screen one more time just cuz again, I don't want this to be lost on people. This shocked me when I saw this. I was like, "Holy crap." Like I, I assume they are just kind of like regular player mats. Like almost like a board. And then when I scrolled down and saw that these were neoprene, I was like, whoa, like <laughs> there are three <laughs> large neoprene mats in this box. Uh so each person with their village, it's on a neoprene mat. And uh and you're kind of facing off, then you have the one common mat with the with the market in it, um, which was quite impressive. Not cheap, as you said. I mean, I've done neoprene mats in, in one of my games, and uh it is uh yeah, it's not... Uh, you, you can't take the cost of neoprene lightly. It is uh, It is an expensive component. But man, does it ever increase the the table presence, right? When you're playing. And especially yeah. with cards like this, when you're constantly putting cards down onto the table. Exactly. Picking those cards up. Yeah, it's going to be so much easier. Uh, and, and they're going to kind of stay in place until you're ready to move them versus putting them on a table, right?
1: Yeah, so in feud every turn you will be moving cards around you'll be placing new cards move them so the mats were just something that I always use for myself when playtesting and so on and then I just I didn't want to let go of it (laughs) yeah had to make it work
0: so how does your brother-in-law kind of fit into all this so um like have you guys kind of split the company roles and responsibilities up like what, what does he handle versus what you handle or do you guys both work on kind of everything or how does that work?
1: So uh, we are mostly um doing our own things, but we're of course helping each other a lot. Like he's playtesting a bunch and playtesting his things. And mm. uh, he's just um um yeah working on his things and we're also working on some things together. We just wanted to have something that we can call ours like mm. uh, we we both put out things that we're both proud of and we want to like help each other promote those things and uh, yeah that's um, pretty much how it goes
0: and what's been the biggest learning for you would you say going into this uh this kickstarter campaign
1: um so i feel like I've been doing research for years about uh, going live on Kickstarter. So a lot of it was, um, uh, I was well aware. I feel I was well-prepared, but, um, yeah, you get tired. It's uh, (laughs) it's a lot of sleepless (laughs) nights. We're only one week in and, uh, I I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I knew it would be hard, but it's really hard and you're constantly checking. Did we get any other backers? And uh, I think once I fund, I will probably be motivated to just keep. I mean, I'm already really motivated. Yeah. But uh, it's gonna kind of uh, give me a a moment to breathe. Yeah. And then like just keep going to hit those stretch goals.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I don't think it can be understated that when you run a campaign the toll that it takes on you of just that constant kind of little bird on the shoulder saying, Hey, check the page, check the page, check the page. Well, you know, imagine doing that for a month, right? Like you're constantly all day long checking your page. I mean, the first 48 hours are a complete write-off, but even throughout the month, that's the part I find the most exhausting because it's tough to work on other stuff while you're constantly part of your brain is focused on, Where are we with this campaign? You know, how's the campaign doing? I, I will say, I mean, it's not a question of if, it's when you fund. I mean, I'm going to put this in Canadian dollars just so our, our listeners understand. And it's the only way I can see it, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> your, your goal is $23,500 Canadian dollars. You're already at 19371 The math alone, and people listen to the podcast know your day one uh, funding typically you're going to hit that uh, 50% of that in the last 72 hours as well. So, just based on that math alone, I mean, it's not a question of if you're going to fund, you are going to fund. It's just a matter of how much over your funding goal you're going to go. Right. So, um, that should give people confidence that, you know, when they back you, that they are going to get this game and it's, you know, it's not a wasted pledge that this is something that uh, is going to come to fruition. And certainly, you guys have put a lot of effort into it. I mean, the video uh, on on the page is great. I don't. Who did you use for your animation?
1: So that's another thing. I have tried to save money everywhere I can. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything of Blender, but I did everything myself. I mean, I oh, got. Wow. To, I have a friend who helped every time I had a question. Friend was there to help me um so i i'm super proud of how it turned out i'm really really happy with the yeah the gifs and it cuz it's uh, it's expensive to hire someone to do these things for you and um i would rather use that money on ads to try to find more backers but uh, no this is this has been a great learning experience if nothing else and uh, i feel like no i'm i'm very happy with how everything's going right now
0: yeah. And, I, and no disservice to, uh, to video creators. Cause I, I know there's, and you even have one, uh, Ori Kagan uh, commented on your page uh, on how impressed he was with your box insert. Uh, but it is expensive, right? Doing animation for a uh, page, doing gifts, things like that. Any of these things you can do yourself. Um, I think you hit it on the head. If you can take that money and pour that into ads, it is going to give you a much greater return than just things looking a little bit sexier. Right. And, mm. um, part of what I do with my videos and I've done camp five campaigns now is I bootstrap them every time. So I do them myself and it's always mm. uh, the majority of the video will be shot practically. And then whatever my limited skills help me do to add another kind <laughs> of uh, effects. I do that to kind of build the story. Um, and then I dump all the rest of the cash into, into ads and because mm. ads at the end of the day, if you can uh, set your, um your return and spend correctly and if you get the ads to perform and you optimize them i mean those things can scale right um, yeah. much much better than a say a video will do if you're spending you know dumping five grand for instance into a video so uh kudos to you for that what comes after Thank this you. so what's next for you guys so are you going to launch something together do you have another game that you're working on that's going to be launching after this one or are you just focusing on this like what's what's the plan going forward
1: So currently, there is a lot of focus uh, on this, obviously, feud. And um, another thing that we're working on right now is actually not a board game, but a digitalization of board game. We're Mm. working on a digital version of a game called Tapestry. And um, yeah, that's going to need a lot of our attention. We're very happy with how far we've come. And uh, yeah, looking forward to today. we can reveal more about that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) well for people who want to follow this campaign or check it out we will put a link in our show notes uh you can find it very easily just by typing in feud quite frankly on kickstarter and it comes up as one of like five options that have that name in it Mm -hmm. um so uh definitely easy to find uh if they want to find your 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 actual um uh website i believe how do people find your website i think it's mindgate-studios.com i believe right
1: that is correct. You've done your research.
0: And if they want to follow you on uh, on social media, how best do they do that?
1: Yeah, just find MindGate Studios. Um, that's where I'm mostly active, I believe. I'm not, I'm not... very active on social media, but uh, we're trying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> always something that most people even myself. Uh, you know, you can always do more, right? Absolutely. Well, you and Kim, I want to wish you all the best on this campaign. I am so excited for you guys. It looks super cool. Congrats on the box and the neoprene mats and just the table presence alone on this thing looks phenomenal. Again, if people want to check out it in the show notes, I put a link, simply go there, click that. You can find it. All the best to you and your family in this coming
1: year. Thank you so much. Have a good night.
0: No worries, my friend. Take care. Cheers.
1: Cheers. This has been an episode of the board game binge podcast
0: hosted by James Staley produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel board game binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.